Well, let's jump into the book of Daniel. I got an email this morning from Betsy and Aaron. They just got settled in the Middle East in Bahrain. Uh, two of our a young couple in our church over there for two years now for the Marine Corps. And, and I just want to read this to you quickly as we get into the message. She goes, wow, I feel God's presence with me more than ever. I just had to share this. I woke up this morning and, and Aaron left for his first official day of work. Uh, the kids are still in bed. So I got my journal out and wrote in it. And then I prayed before doing my devotion. I was asking God to lead us in the right path while we are here on this journey and to really show us how to spread the word. Then I opened my iPad to the verse of the day which is Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord. And then she says, God is so good in all caps. I just see all these people so determined and dedicated to their ritual of praying to someone who is not the real God. And it hurts me to know that if they knew Jesus and knew how he loved them and they put as much dedication into praying to the right God, then their lives would be so blessed and they would be, they, they would have that promised eternal life. And she just goes on to say, tell everyone hello for me. We're doing great. And really thinks that God, you know, she was really nervous at first to go to the Middle East with her children. Now she really feels like God put her there for a reason. And so they're part of Coastline over there. So we're going to be praying. In them and, and, and just as the prayer cards, we had a number of prayer cards this week from wives just saying, pray that God will give me strength when my husband is on deployment. Let us never forget what it's like for so many families in our church who are in the military dealing with deployments and everything else. Let us always hold them up in prayer and really, you know, just, just, just pray for God's peace and support and that whatever they need, we are here to serve them and support them during this season of life. Let's jump into the book of Daniel. We are now on part four of the series. Daniel is in the Old Testament. It's in a section of books called the Major Prophets. The Old Testament can be a little confusing to read at times because it's not written chronologically, but the Bible is written in sections. And so the first section of the Old Testament is what we call the history section, Genesis, Exodus. It, it kind of reads like a history book. Then you move into the poetic section of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, which we just studied as a church. Then you have the prophets, the major Major prophets, the minor prophets, and and no, they're not uh, major because they're better like baseball. They're just longer in length than the minor prophets. Daniel fits right into the major prophets in the Old Testament. Daniel is 12 chapters. One of the unique thing about the book of Daniel is half of Daniel is history and half of Daniel is prophetic, deals with the end times. Well, I believe even the historical section of the book of Daniel is prophetic and has modern day application to us today. And the theme of the book of Daniel is how do you live godly in an ungodly world? When it looks like the whole world is just running away from God and opposed to the things of God and going, you know, in, in just an ungodly direction. How do we stand for godly convictions and godly principles in an ungodly world? Because... What happened in the book of Daniel is there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar. He was over uh, Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. They invade Israel. They take all the, the Hebrew children, the Israeli children as slaves into Babylon. Daniel and his friends, the, these teenagers, that's why all the teenagers are now joining us in church. This is a series about teenagers that were, that were forced to be slaves in an ungodly culture. How do they stand for godly principles in this culture? And so today we're moving into one of the uh, second kings that Daniel... Uh, served under. There was four kings that Daniel served under throughout the book of Daniel. Uh, first was Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. And 
chapter 5. And, and, and just to give you a little kind of a, a synopsis of where we've been in this series, uh, part one was culture's greatest goal. Uh, you need to know that, that, that culture has a goal for your life. God's given you an identity. God's given you a purpose. God's given you a name. And culture's greatest goal is to rename you. Culture wants to rob you of your God-given identity and say, you weren't created for that. You were created for this. And so we've got to understand those principles. Part two was culture's greatest test, the battle over worship. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to bow down before? Because you are going to be forced to, to worship things that go against your biblical beliefs. And the motivation will always be fear. We see that happening in America today. Business owners today are being threatened by the government. If you don't violate your biblical principles, we're going to fine you a million dollars a day. And we're already seeing this happen right now. Then last week we was part three, culture's greatest sin, pride, pride, this, 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 insane mentality that we are self-sufficient and not God dependent. And one of the ways we stay God dependent as a church is through prayer. Prayer is the most humbling thing you can do as a human being. When you pray, you basically say you don't have all the answers. You can't figure it out. You're not smart enough, bright enough, gifted enough to get it all done. But you have to be dependent on something higher, bigger, more powerful than you to even pray. And so prayer is the most humbling act. And one of the things I challenge the men of our church with is when's the last time your kids heard you pray out loud? You know, you need to pray out loud every day in front of your children so they know that you are a God-dependent man and not, not a self-sufficient man. And it's, it's, also, it's just insane thinking. Today is part four. And uh, what, I, what I really look at today is culture's greatest culprit. This is, today's message is what the enemy uses to get you to fall to the first three. You know, to, 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 get, to, to get you to, to, to buy into the world's identity for your life, to get you to worship false gods, to get you to, to live this self-sufficient, arrogant, prideful life. Today's the cul- culprit of how the enemy does all of that. And, and just, just for you to know, next week we're going to deal with culture's greatest need. And you know what culture's greatest need is? You. You are the world's greatest need. You living out the purpose of God for your life. You discovering what God puts you on earth to do and living that out. That's this world's greatest need. Then part six in two weeks, we're going to deal with the end times. And we're going to answer the question, will Jesus come back in our lifetime? And I'm going to. I'm going to go through the the last half of Daniel and show you some of the prophetic things about the end times. And we're going to answer the question, will Jesus come back in our lifetime? But today we are in chapter five. So turn with me in your Bible or follow along with your notes. If you have it, we're in verse one of chapter five. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he drank wine with them. Now, oftentimes when you see them drinking wine or alcohol in the Bible like this, it always kind of was tied into this carefree lifestyle. This this doesn't matter, carefree, it can kind of do what I want to do lifestyle. Verse 2, while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Basically what's happening is they're mocking God. 
They are taking the, 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 these articles of worship from God's house in Jerusalem. And they're just having this just crazy party, mocking God, worshiping their false gods and idols. They're taking what is holy and using it in very unholy ways. And then in verse 5, it says, suddenly, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote. Now, I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it was like a, like a hand like the Adams family or if it was just like an arm came out of the wall and was writing or if it was like a, a giant hand or a small hand or what it was. But they're having this party. They're getting drunk and crazy. And all of a sudden, a hand comes out of the wall. And what I love about the Bible is the detail of the Bible. Look, look at verse 6 with me. It's not uh, in your notes, but if you have a Bible or follow the screens, verse 6. It says, and the king's face turned pale with fright and his knees knocked together in fear and his legs gave way beneath him. I mean, his knees are having a little fellowship there. Um, I just love the detail. It's just like knocked together. I, I mean, I'd be scared too. If I'm sitting there and all of a sudden this hand, this ghost hand is like writing on the wall. It would freak me out a little bit too. Verse seven. The king shouted for the enchanters and astrologers and fortune tellers to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But here's the problem. None of them could figure it out. None of these fortune tellers, these astrologers, these enchanters of this Babylonian king, none of them could figure it out. Why? Because all the mysteries of God can only be figured out with God's help. The mysteries of God, only God can reveal them. And here's the truth of that. God has a mystery for your life. It's called your destiny. It's called your purpose. And you're never going to figure out why God puts you here without his help. Because the mysteries of God can only be figured out with God's help. So the queen says to the king, remember Daniel. He worked for your dad. Daniel was this Hebrew slave that he was good at telling dreams. I bet Daniel could figure out what this means. So we drop down to verse 13 and it says, so Daniel was brought in before the king and the king asked him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding and wisdom. My wise men and enchanters have tried to read the words on the wall and tell me their meaning, but they cannot do it. You can't do it without God's help. Verse 16, I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel replied, I don't want your money. I don't want your clothes. I don't want your jewelry. I don't need the job. But I'll tell you what God is saying because God is trying to warn you. And King, I want you to remember your dad. And he tells him the story of his dad. And and Belshazzar would have remembered what happened to his father because it was public knowledge. Remember last week we discussed King Nebuchadnezzar. He ignored the warning, the prophetic warning that God gave him. And he went insane and he lived like a wild animal in the woods for seven years. And Belshazzar would have remembered that. And it was all because he ignored the warning of God. And so Daniel is saying, God is trying to warn you. Warn you just like he warned your father. And you need to heed the warning. Verse 23, we move on. It says, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven. And I want you to look at that for a moment. You have proudly defied the Lord of heaven. I think so many of us are living that verse. 
We're just defying God. We know better than God. I don't need to surrender all of my life to God. I can surrender some of my life to God. I can kind of squeeze God. And I don't really need to give him everything. How many of us are living in this state where we're just, we're just proudly defying God? We're just proudly living out our life the way we want to live out our life. Not really surrendering to the purposes of God. Not really figuring out, why did God put me here? And what am I to be doing with my life? Just proudly defying God. And what's beautiful about God is God will always warn us first. God loves you so much that God warns you. He gives you these prophetic warnings to get you to, to make a course change and change of direction and change your life. Why? So you don't have to experience the consequences of your choices. See, what you need to get through your head is God is not trying to punish you. It's not God's punishment God's trying to save you from. It's the consequences of your own actions he's trying to save you from. God's not punishing you. He punished Christ on the cross. What we experience here is the consequences of our own. What, what happens when I step out from God's protection? What happens when I, when, when I move away from God's blessing? And God's trying to warn him here. And he says, uh, you've had these cups from his temple brought before you. These are cups from God's temple. These are articles that are holy. These are cups that are holy and they're there to be used to worship the one true God. And you have these holy cups and you're using them for unholy things. How many of us use holy things for unholy things all the time? Did you know you were holy? The Bible says you're holy, you're set apart, you're sanctified. Are you using your life for holy purposes or unholy purposes? You know, the Bible says the tithe, the first 10% of all we earn. The Bible says this, it is holy, it is set apart for the Lord. Are you using it for the Lord or are you using it on rent? It is holy. And that's what's happening here is this king is using things that were, were meant to be holy in very unholy ways. And it goes on to say, you and your nobles and your wise and concubines... I've been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods, that, I love this, gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. These gods can't help you. They don't know anything at all. They can't see. They can't hear. They can't help you. They can't explain to you the meaning of life. They're not going to help you accomplish your purpose or fulfill your dreams. They're not going to answer your prayers. How many of us are following things in our life that can't help us? I mean, how many of us are, are, are seeking after things in life that can't help you? They can't see, they can't hear, and they don't know anything at all. They're not going to help you. And then look at this. This, this, this is the point. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. You're not honoring God. God gives you the very breath you breathe. God controls your destiny. You're not honoring him. And then verse 24. So God has sent this hand to write this message. And this is where we get the famous American colloquialism. I think that's how you say it. Colloquialism. It's a big word. Just trying to impress you today. The colloquialism, the handwriting's on the wall. Many of you don't even know that's out of the Bible. The statement, the handwriting is on the Bible was the handwriting is on the wall is from the Bible. It's right here. It means imminent doom. If you don't if you don't see the handwriting on the wall, you're going to end up in trouble. You're going to end up in destruction. You're going to end up in doom. You need to recognize the handwriting on the wall. It is a prophetic warning. So what handwriting on the wall? Look at verse 25. 
This is the message that was written. Many, many tekel and parson. I don't know how God did this, you know, because this is, this is not an earthly language. It's a total heavenly language. I don't know if God and Jesus were up in heaven like, say this, say this, many, many tekel parson. And just kind of making up words and, you know, whatever. But, but you know, write this on the wall. Many, many tekel parson. And then, but, but what I want you to notice about these words, many, many tekel parson, is there is a very real prophetic warning to us today. This applies to us today. And I'm going to give you three prophetic warnings out of these words. And I'm going to give you how we should respond to these warnings. Here's the first one, verse 26. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Your days are numbered. You have a set amount of time here on earth. Your days are numbered. You have a limited amount of time. You only have a little bit of life. And because you're not recognizing that you just got a little bit of life, you're not living properly. And here's the first prophetic warning I want to give you today. In your notes, we forget that our days are numbered. How often do we forget that that our days are numbered? We have a set amount of time. We just got a little bit. And why is this so important? Because anything you think you have a lot of, You tend to squander as a human being. But anything you have a little bit of, you tend to conserve and you really spend wisely if you just have a little bit of it. So you have to remind yourself daily. James says our life is just a mist. I heard one guy say you're living in a dash. The dash from the date you were born and the date you die. You have a dash. Your life is simply a little bitty dash on a tombstone. That's all you got. You have a death date. Aren't you glad you came to church today? My name is Aaron. I'm here to encourage you. (laughs) Hebrews 9 verse 27 says it like this. And just as each person is destined to die once. And after that comes the judgment. We have to remind ourselves daily that our days are numbered. That our days are numbered. We have a limited set amount of time. Because if you don't remind yourself daily, you will tend to squander what you think you have a lot of. I mean, think about it. If you got a lot of money, you're not really concerned about leaving the lights on at home. But if you have a little bit of money, turn the lights off, turn the air conditioner off. I mean, I mean, you're concerned about everything. And it's so true. We did a series a couple years ago here called 30 Days to Live. And in this series, we had interviews of people who left the doctor and literally had a limited time on earth. And we watched the interviews of, as they just reflected over their life, knowing that they only had a few weeks left to live. And we asked ourselves the question, what would you do differently if you just had 30 days to live? What are you doing right now that you would stop doing if you had 30 days to live? What are you not doing right now that you would start doing if you really only had 30 days to live? Let's learn. How to do it now, not wait. Do it, do it now. Turn your wins into now. We all have win-thens in life, don't we? You know, when the kids get older, I'll put more energy into my marriage. When, when my career is a little more stable, I'll put more energy into my kids. When this happens, then I'll do that. Turn your win into now. Your days aren't guaranteed. Your days are numbered. You have a limited amount of time. Don't live this carefree, doesn't matter lifestyle. It'll destroy you. Let's look at the next warning. Verse 27, tekel. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. You've been weighed. God has taken your life and weighed you and it's just not measuring up. It's not adding up. You're out of balance. Here's the question. If we were asked by God today, how are you spending your time? 
If God said, how are you measure your life? How are you spending your time? How many of us here today would say, I'm nailing it. I mean, I got it down perfectly. I, I got I got the most perfect balance. I'm spending the right amount of time reading my Bible, the right amount of time praying, the right amount of time with my wife, the right amount of time with my kids, the right. How many of us could honestly say I'm nailing it? I mean, you can weigh out my life, God, and you will find that it measures up. I mean, very few of us could honestly say that. That's why we need to regularly look at our life and make sure it's in order. And here's the second prophetic warning today. We allow our lives to get out of balance. We allow our lives to get out of balance. You have to stop this constant push for more. I mean, we live in this society that is just pushing and pushing and pushing for more. I got to get the newest iPhone and I got to get a bigger house and I got to drive a nicer car and I got to get my kids into this school. I know my son's in four sports, but he can do five. And, and, and I know I haven't seen my wife in a week, but, but, but I got stuff to do. And, and this constant push for more, it's going to kill you. Let me just say, if you're burning the candle at both ends of the stick, you're not as bright as you think you are. You need to learn how to exercise the no muscle, but say no to the right things. Because as soon as we get overworked and overstretched and overcommitted, you know what most people tend to do? They start saying no to the wrong things. They're saying no to things they should be doing and saying yes to things that are just sucking the life out of them. Learn how to say no to the right things and yes to the right things. Ask yourself the question, does this contribute to my life purpose? Is this really going to make a difference in eternity? Does it contribute to the to the purpose God created me for? Look, look at Ecclesiastes four verse six with me. I love this verse. It is better to have only a little. It's better. It's better. It's better for you to have just a little with peace of mind. I mean, I mean, I love peace of mind than to be busy all the time. I mean, I'd rather have a little bit with peace of mind than to be stressed and anxiety and depressed and popping pills and be busy all the time just trying to keep up with the Joneses and living in the rat race we call North County. Let's look at the last warning. Verse 28, Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, what does this mean? This means simply if you don't realize that number one, your days are numbered, that that number two, your life is being weighed, then you are going to become divided. See, see if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't take care of the days you have and you don't keep your life in balance, you're going to become divided. This could mean your health. This could mean your marriage. Divided could mean divorce for you. Could mean your business, your finances, your, your kids. For, for Belshazzar, it was his kingdom. And I love how accurate the Bible is. This was prophesied before it actually happened. And right after this was prophesied, the Medes and Persians invaded Babylon, took over, and Belshazzar literally lost his kingdom over this thing. And so here's the last prophetic warning to you today. We ignore the warning signs. The last prophetic warning is you're ignoring the first two. That's what this means. You're simply ignoring the first two. You're ignoring the warning signs. What signs? That if you don't realize your days are numbered and you don't realize that your life is being weighed out, you're going to be divided. And let me just explain the obvious. This is how a warning sign works. The reality today, here's the truth. There's not a whole lot of this message that you don't know. But there's a lot of it that you're not doing. Did you catch me? 
There's not a whole lot of this today that you really don't know, but there's a whole lot of it you're simply not doing. So God comes along with these warning signs trying to get your attention. Many, many tequil parson. And maybe it's a little stress. Maybe it's something in your health. Maybe there's a little disruption in your marriage. And if you don't deal with it, you will become divided. If you continue to ignore them, there will be some form of destruction. And what you need to know about God, God is a good God. God loves you and he wants the best for you. So God gives you these prophetic warnings and God is trying to help you. He's saying, listen, if you don't wake up, you're going to suffer. You you will experience consequences of your own actions if you don't change your course and direction. I mean, pain is a great warning sign in our life. It is a gift of God. And here's some symptoms. Here's what, when you get your life out of balance, when, when, when when you forget that your days are numbered and you're not using your days wisely, here's the symptoms of what's going to happen to you. First off, this isn't in your notes, but I encourage you to write it down. The risk of sinful choices increases. The risk of sinful choices increases. I mean, if you look at business leaders who have, who have failed and, and gotten in trouble, you look at pastors who have fallen to immorality, uh, almost every single time it's because they were tired, they were stressed, they were overworked, they were overcommitted. They were, and, and you need to understand, the devil has a playbook just for you. The devil knows exactly how to get you. That's why the Bible says the devil waits for an opportune time. He's written a playbook for your life. He knows the opportune time of when to tempt you. He knows when you're your weakest. He knows when you're most vulnerable. That's why you've got to realize the warning signs. You've got to know that your days are numbered. You've got to know that that, that, that your life is being weighed out and measured. Second thing that happens is my emotions are inconsistent. You know, when you get tired, stressed, when you get worn out, overcommitted, your emotions, you find yourself yelling at your kids, not knowing where that came from. I mean, you know... Am I the only one? Do you, do you ever find yourself yelling at cars that can't hear you? I mean, is it just me? And then you're like, where in the world did that come from? That's not me. That's not like me at all. See, what happens when you get into this exhausted stress stage is your, your emotions are inconsistent. Here's another one. I am less productive. I'm less, when, when you're busy, you're actually less productive. I, I know that doesn't make sense in the natural that if you do more, you accomplish less. But it's true. The more you do, the less you accomplish. See, it's not about working hard. You can take a dull axe and swing away all day and accomplish very little. You take a sharp axe, swing for half the amount of time and accomplish a lot more. And if you don't believe me, study Chick-fil-A's business model because it's the worst business model in corporate America. You mean you're going to take off the busiest fast food day of the week and shut your company down? That's not going to work, yet they're flourishing. They're they're, they're thriving. Why? Because they've learned a very simple biblical principle. Honor the Sabbath. Take a day. Cease. Stop. Turn the phone off. Turn the emails off. No work. Don't do anything that produces in your life. Just replenish. Rest. Get to know your kids a little bit, your wife a little bit. Just stop. Honor the Sabbath. And if you don't believe me, just look at Chick-fil-A. I mean, they're doing it and they're thriving. It doesn't make any sense. It's the worst business model in corporate America. Yet it's a biblical business model and they're thriving as a result. And then here's the last thing. You know, if you don't ignore the warning signs and you're struggling with these other symptoms, here's the last symptom that you'll begin to experience. I can't hear God. 
I can't hear God. I mean, you need to know that God's speaking. God is talking to you right now, but so many of you simply can't hear him because you've got so much clutter and noise and busyness and you're not slowing down long enough to hear what God has to say to you. And if you would just listen to him, your life would be so much better. Because his plans are for good. His plans are to prosper you. And so many of you are trying to do it on your own and you're so busy and you're not listening to him. I really believe one of the greatest gifts that we can give you as a church, along with figuring out what you're here for, is to teach you how to pray, to teach you how to get to know God, become a person of prayer. Slow down long enough so you can hear God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. So let me give you a couple quick turning points as we as we close the message. Let you know how you can practically apply this and take it home with you. Verse 29, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Unfortunately, Belshazzar did not repent, did not change his life. And in verse 30, it says that very night, the Babylonian king was killed. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So here's, here's three take-home points to apply this message to your life today. Number one, live life with a sense of purpose and urgency. Live your life with a sense of purpose and urgency. If you have breath in your body, it's because you matter and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let me just let me say something about God. God is not looking down from heaven saying, I wonder who he is. I wonder who she is. I better find them something new to keep them busy. No, God does not create a purpose for you. God creates you for the purpose before your grandparents ever had a twinkle in their eye. God knew you and had a plan for your life and he had something for you to accomplish. And the greatest thing you can do in your life is figure out what that purpose is and do it. I mean, that's why we created the Discover course here at our church. Because we know that the best thing that we can do is help you figure out what your purpose is. See, there's two great days for every person. There's number one, the day you were born. And number two, the day you found out why. I mean, those are the two great days. The day you're born and the day you figure out why. Why did God put you here? And that's what the Discover course is all about. 101. We want to teach you to how, to how to have a church family to belong to so you can live out the purposes of God. 201. We want to teach you to how to live an on-fire Christian life. 301 is the most exciting class because we do, we do a personality test, a passion test, a spiritual gifts test. So you can begin to see what did God put inside of your life? What did God create you for? And then 401, the class we're doing right after service today. If you've never taken 401, you've not found your place on the dream team, join us. Right, I'd love to have lunch with you. 401 is all about you figuring out what God created you for and then doing it. Finding your place on the team. Being a part of what God is doing. Getting on the field and doing it. And it's so fulfilling. And I'm telling you, you're going to get more out of it. That's why we don't have volunteers here. I met with someone the other day and they said, I'm just on fire with what God's doing at the church. Where do you need me? And I had to say, well, we really don't need you anywhere because the church is doing quite well. And I know that sounds crazy, but think about it. It's not about where we need you. Let me explain something to you. We don't have a vision for your life. God has a vision for your life. We're just trying to help him. As a church, our job as a church is just to help God 
with his vision for your life, not for us to come up with a vision. So it's not about where we need you. It's not about where we want you. It's about where does God need you? Where does God want you? Our job is to help you figure out why God put you on earth and then to empower you to live it out. That's what the dream team is all about. It's not about we need volunteers over here, so come serve. It's No, it's about you finding your place on God's team because there's nothing more rewarding and nothing more fulfilling than you living out the purposes of God for your life. You only get a little bit of time, so why don't you make the biggest difference you can with the time you have? Live life with urgency. I love Psalm 39. Look at this. Psalm 39 says it like this. Lord, remind me. I think we need to say this daily to ourselves. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. That my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. So God, let me make the biggest difference I can with a little bit of time I have. Here's the second thing. Put the first things first. Put first things first. Get your time in order. Put the most important things in your life first. Because here's what most of us do. Most of us squeeze the most important things into our life. We'll do the most important things if we have time. We'll try to squeeze them in. Instead of putting first things first. And let me explain to you why this is so important. Because order determines capacity. If you get your life in the right order, it'll determine your capacity, what you can accomplish for God. Put first things first. If you put first things first, the Bible says it's a universal principle throughout Scripture. When you put first things first, everything else you do is blessed. That's what the tithe is about. Give God first the 10% and then the other 90% is blessed and multiplied. Give God the first part of your week. That's why we have the weekend service on the first part of the week. We want to give God the first. Every morning I get up, I pray, I read my Bible. I give God the first part of my day. If some of you would take 20 minutes in the morning and just get in the presence of God, your day would be radically different. I mean, some of you are dealing with so much stress and anxiety and issues. and pro- Why? Because you're not getting your life in order. If you just get up 20 minutes, just worship God. Just get into his presence. Just pray. Just, just get into the word. It would radically change the course of your day. Order determines capacity. The Bible says it like this in Matthew 6, verse 33. It says, seek first the kingdom. Put God's kingdom first in your life and everything else is going to be taken care of. And here's the last thing I want to say to you. Go home and look at your schedule. Look at your life. Look at your diary. Put the first things first. Learn to live life with a sense of purpose and urgency. And then finally, if you have the warning signs right now going off, number three, don't put it off. Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Make a change now. Don't wait one more second. Do it now. The Bible is very clear. God's spirit will not always strive with man. God's given you some prophetic warnings today. He's given you some prophetic warnings today. Many, many tekel parson. Your days are numbered. Your life's going to be measured. Are you going to end up divided? Do it now. Make some changes now. Now. God will eventually allow you to suffer the consequences of your own actions. And let me, let me just say it like this. You're going to learn some lessons in life. Don't let tragedy be your teacher. 
you're going to learn some lessons. Don't let tragedy be your teacher. That's it. I'm going to end with this first. Look at this verse with me. Second Corinthians six two. indeed the right time, the right time, the right time, the right time is now. Now, now today, today is the day of salvation. So for some of you, you're going to have to take step one, which is really put the first thing, capital T thing first in your life. And that's Jesus Christ. Because if we were really honest, you're, you're very careful. If you were honest, you, you would tell me you're very, very careful to make sure that God is on your list. But the truth is God's not at the top of your list. He's not number one in your life. He's on your list because you're a good person. We've got to make sure God's on our list. We're good people. But if you were really honest with yourself today, you'd say, you know what? God's not at the top of my list. He's not number one. I haven't truly restructured my life to reflect God is number one. I'm not talking about being perfect because none of us are perfect. But you know, you know the difference of God being on your list and God being number one on your list. You know the difference. And let me be very blunt with you. If God is not at the top of your list, the reality, he's not on your list at all. You don't squeeze God in. You don't squeeze God into your life. He's either number one. Because think about it like this. Do you want to surrender your life to a God that would allow himself to take second place in your life? What kind of God would that be to serve? So you got to make a decision today. So would you close your eyes for just a moment? As we leave here today, I'm just going to ask if anyone needs to join me in a very simple prayer. When we say this prayer, let me just let me let you know now. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to single you out. You don't even have to say the prayer out loud. You'll say it in your heart. God can hear the thoughts of your heart. But you would say with me today, you know, if I look at my life, the reality is God isn't first in my life this morning. He's not first. He's not first. And it could be one of two reasons. You may be brand new to Christianity. You could have walked into church today with a friend, never been a part of a Christian church service in your life, but, but you just feel God here and you know you need to give your life to God. Let me just let you know you don't have to figure it all out before you do this. If I, if, I, if I could be really honest, I don't have it all figured out yet. It's going to take you the rest of your life to figure it out and you're still not going to get it. You'll get the rest of it when you get to heaven. So don't, don't, don't feel like you need to figure it all out to make this decision today. It's a step of faith. Of just saying, you know what, God, I, I don't really understand all this, but I know you're real. I know you're here and I need to give you my life this morning. And then some of you today would be what I said, you know, God's on your list, but he's not the top of your list. And this morning you really feel like, you know what, today's the day. I need to make a decision. I, I don't need to wait any longer. I really need to surrender it all. I really need to lay everything down and put God at the top of my list. So if you're in either one of those situations today with every eye closed, would you raise your hand and just say, I want to join you in that prayer. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. 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 Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. The prayer is very simple. I want you to pray in your own words. The first part of the prayer is just make a decision this morning to put God first. Just say, God, today I make a commitment to put you first in my life. I don't fully know what that means, but I'm taking the step of faith and I'm committing to putting you first. Just say that in your own words right now. The second part of the prayer is forgiveness. We all need God's grace. I I feel like the Apostle Paul. I'm the worst sinner here. 
But in truth be known, if you knew my past, I am the worst sinner here. We all need God's grace. So in your own words, would you just say, God, would you forgive me? And then the last part of the prayer is just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Just express your gratefulness. You can look up for just a moment. If you prayed that prayer today on your connection card, I want to encourage you to do one more step on your own, on your own. On your connection card, there's two boxes. One says I'm committing my life to Christ. One says I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either decision today, would you check one of those boxes? You can drop it off one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave. We want to partner with you. We want, to, we want to come alongside of you and really help you walk out the decision you made today. It's a very important decision. And we just want to help you. We also have these books outside that says, Now What? Great question. You make a decision to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Now what? What do I do next? This book's a very short booklet that'll help you. It's free of charge at our information table. And if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, please take a hard copy of the Bible today. It's my favorite translation, NLT. One of the worst things you can do as a new Christian is try to read the King James Bible. It'll mess you up. It was written for people 300 years ago in a totally different English dialect than what we have today. This is one written for today. It is a great version of the Bible. Read Daniel chapter 5. Let God speak to you all over again. Stand with me as we close today. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, thank you for these prophetic warnings. Many, many equal parts. And God, let us understand today, God, that our days are numbered, that our life is going to be measured, and that we cannot ignore these warning signs. But let us learn to live life with purpose and passion, God. Oh, let us learn to put first things first. And let's do it now. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is the right time. So let's do it. Let's live life with purpose, God, for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks for being here today. We will see you next weekend.